Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, and it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. Happy New Year to all you Blueprint listeners. Hopefully, you are already fired up and ready to crush those big goals in 2020. Today, I'm thrilled to share a bonus episode from a conversation with Steve Sandusky from his podcast, Between Now and Success. Steve was kind enough to allow us to replay it here. Also, a bit of a word of warning, the audio's a little shaky at the front end until we got it corrected for the second half of the chat. I'm sorry for that, but hopefully the ideas shared will make up for it. Also, if you aren't already subscribed to his show, Steve's podcast is easily one of my top listens in all the financial services. So be sure to visit the show notes, check it out, go subscribe. A little background for those of you unfamiliar with Steve. He has over 20 years of experience in our industry and has helped launch and build a $1.8 billion RIA. Also in partnership with Ron Carson, he grew Peak Advisor Alliance from zero to a thousand coaching clients as a managing partner there. And he's also a New York Times bestselling author of Tested in the Trenches, as well as Avalanche, his second book. And as far as his podcast, Steve is a master interviewer and has had past guests on his podcast that include Rick Edelman, Marty Bicknell, David Bach, and other heavy hitters in finance. He was also a guest on our show, an earlier episode of the podcast, episode 19, if you want to go check that out. And obviously with this rockstar lineup of past guests on Steve's show, I was honored to return the favor and hop on the mic with him. We covered a lot of ground, but primarily focused deep dive on how financial advisors can take their marketing to the next level, as well as a simple three-step framework we've coached on over and over at Advisors Excel with our top clients to help them scale their firms. Because we dive so deeply into marketing in this episode, I did add a special download that I want to make sure all of you Blueprint listeners have access to. One of the biggest keys that I've found to making smart marketing decisions is knowing your numbers. And I want to share a tool that many of our top performing firms use to track and maximize their marketing ROIs. We call it our marketing ROI calculator. It's available as a free download right at the top of the show notes page over at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 68. That's 68. Show notes that include links to all the resources, books mentioned, and people discuss are available there as well. I might add, if you're listening in on a mobile device on most podcast players, simply just scroll up to the show notes. There'll be a link that'll take you right there. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening in. And without further delay, my conversation with Steve Sandusky. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Between Now and Success. I'm your host, Steve Sandusky. And my guest today is Brad Johnson. Brad is the Vice President of Advisor Development for Advisors Excel, And he's also the host of a great podcast for financial advisors called The Elite Advisor Blueprint. And I am a big fan and regular listener of that show. Brad is a firm believer in this idea that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Now, you may have heard that idea. It comes from Jim Rohn. And in Brad's case, he and his company surround themselves with the very best people. And in today's show, we discuss what is in the DNA 
of a fast-growing company, Advisors Excel. We talk about how do you build a marketing machine in your business, and he has some great insights on how they've worked with advisors and the different things that they've done to help them build marketing machines. And then we end the show with Brad sharing a few key insights from his own podcast, including a very touching story from one of his guests about the late coach, John Wooden. So please enjoy my conversation with Brad Johnson. Brad, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, this is a real treat because you and I have a bit of a background back uh, in Gosh, probably 10 years ago-ish, I'm going to say. I was able to speak at a conference with your company, Advisors Excel, and had an opportunity to be a guest on your show. So it's awesome here to get you on my show. So you have an amazing background. You've been riding a rocket ship at Advisors Excel for, I guess, since about 2007. And so I want to get a little bit of that story. But before we go there, I've got a question for you, a little blast out of the past. So are you open to put you on the hot seat here for a second? Let's do it. Okay. So let's go back to college. I know you wanted to be a football player, but you had a pretty devastating knee injury. So tell me about what happened while you were playing football and how did you overcome that and what lesson did you learn from that? Yeah. Wow. You did your research, Steve. I'm impressed. So I grew up playing pretty much every sport that you could play in small town Kansas, which was basically baseball, football track, basketball, basically went to Juco straight out of high school to play college football, small, little, tiny, tiny, barely even find it on a map, Highland, Kansas. So Highland community college. And quite honestly, they gave just about everybody a books and tuition scholarship. So that wasn't that big of an accomplishment, but kind of worked my way up the depth chart, ended up all conference in the Jayhawk conference, which is kind of mainly Kansas schools and decided I was going to try my luck at a four-year. So I transferred to Emporia State, which is a Division II in Kansas. And so this would have been my junior year of college. And I was competing for a starting spot at free safety. And literally the very last day of spring ball, which would have been, you know, just the lead up to, I guess I transferred my sophomore year. So it would have been going into my junior year uh, in our scrimmage. I didn't even hit anybody literally was decelerating and just my right knee just came out tore my ACL and really the first injury I'd ever had really playing sports I'd stayed pretty healthy and I just remember we had this uh old athletic trainer that has since passed away Doc Baxter and he'd been there for gosh 30 years and I mean he was just the guy you would think of when you think of like an old college athletic trainer like I'm over there rolling around on the ground he's just walking slowly over to me not a not a care in the world. He's seen this a hundred times before. And I remember he told me he thought I sprained it, sprained my knee. And I was pretty sure I didn't. And so I got a second opinion and immediately they knew I tore my ACL and Doc Baxter's like, yeah, you know, I was kind of thinking that you might've torn your ACL (laughs) after the fact. So anyway, the, the lesson I learned from that, it was, it was pretty devastating. I mean, emotionally sports was a big part of my life at that time. And I pretty much made the decision, went and got the surgery and uh, rehabbed the whole next season. And my coach was kind enough. He let me travel with the team and kind of be a an assistant coach. And so I just basically spent that whole year learning. And in hindsight, it was actually really good for me um, because I was I was transferring into a new defensive scheme. We ran a four two five, which is pretty different. It's three defensive backs, a strong safety, a free safety, a weak safety. 
And so that year really gave me, as I was rehabbing my knee, it gave me time to understand the system at a really in-depth level. And quite honestly, just time to really, really work on the physical side. And by the time I came back, I had a better vertical, faster 40 time. And I just really like, it gave me a a year to mature. So I, I think really the lesson looking back is, you know, adversity, it's what you do after the fact that really defines you versus the adversity itself. And sometimes that can be a blessing in disguise. And the back part of that story is by the time my senior year rolled around, I took a medical red shirt. So it actually set me back a year. So I was a fifth year senior. And it just so happened that I lined up with a great senior class. We went to the playoffs for the first time in the history of our school, Division II playoffs. Played a little, they're actually close to you. Uh, you know, Winona State in Minnesota? Yep. Winona State was where we played our first round of the playoffs. They got us, but it gave me a chance to actually finish on a high note, ended up all conference. And so, you know, I kind of made the trek back, but it was definitely a lot of hard work to get back there. So that's a really long answer, but uh, I wanted to give you a little bit of the backstory of kind of the before and after and what that led to. Yeah, well, I appreciate you sharing that. So it, it gives me a sense of your background, your tenacity, your competitiveness. And I liked how you said that, and I'm paraphrasing here, basically the event, we're all going to have events in our life. In your case, it was the blown ACL, but it's our response to that event that really is going to determine the outcome here. So you could have just been pissed off and said, I'm done with football. I'm going to go whatever. But no, you had a different response. You came back, you paid your dues, and you ended up having a good outcome. So I think a a really nice lesson. So again, thanks for sharing that. So coming out of college, so then what happened? And I want to get to where you, you joined this rocket ship. So tell me a little bit about that. It's interesting. My college football career kind of ushered me into my first career right out of college. Uh, We at Emporia State, they had just on-campus interviews in one of the companies, uh, which is a little bit infamous now, uh, Payless Shoe Source. Their corporate office is based out of Topeka. Literally right after one of my biggest games ever, their CTO came down and interviewed me and he was at the football game and he said, hey, that that last game you guys played in was crazy. Of course, he looked at the resume and saw I was a football player and and I just so happened made like the play of my career where I picked off a pass, running in for a touchdown for like the winning score with two minutes left. So, I mean, you couldn't have timed the interview lead in like any better. And so I'm typically a pretty humble guy, but I was like, I can't really pass this softball up that he just threw me. So I said, yeah, that was actually me, you know, at the end. And so we just talked about football for the first 15 minutes of the interview. But my major in college was computer information systems. And so that was my first job right out of college. Took me to Topeka, Kansas and worked at Payless Shoe Source in IT for three years. And I just kind of, you know, it was a good company, good people, but I just, I was in a cube, I was coding and it just wasn't me. I was the social person, the guy that liked to connect. And I just really, what took me into finance was I actually started my CFP courses while at Payless and I interviewed at kind of the the standard where most guys got their start, I interviewed at Ed Jones, Ameriprise, John Hancock, ended up taking a job at John Hancock to be a financial advisor and was just getting ready to relocate when one of my good college friends, a guy named Sean Sparks, who's still at Advisors Excel, said, hey, if you're quitting your job anyway, you should come check out this new little startup company, Advisors Excel. You might not have to move out of Topeka if it works out. 
And so I sat down and interviewed with Dave, Cody, and Derek, the three founders. And that was 2007 and became, I think, the 12th employee, if I remember right. And fast forward to 2019, we have over 700 employees and it's just, it's crazy how quickly it's grown. And just looking back, it seems like just the other day, but I was fortunate to right place, right time, have some good connections to get into a great company and then just work really hard once I got here. So just briefly tell me, what does Advisors Excel do? And then I want you to share, is there, what's in the DNA of Advisors Excel? Because I'm really interested in learning, is there something about the company from the beginning in terms of the philosophy, the culture that was created, anything along those lines that really helped this company grow as fast as it did. So first of all, just what is Advisors Excel? What do they do? Then we'll explore that second part of that question. Yeah. So Advisors Excel, by definition, when I first started was an insurance brokerage company. We sat in between the insurance carriers that created the product and the independent financial advisors that utilized the product and, you know, for clients building out their portfolios and their retirement plans. Uh, we really started with the focus in the indexed annuity space and since it's interesting, I'm guessing probably the opposite of most of your listenership. We started with the insurance side, then bolted on a life insurance division, and then have since evolved into an RIA, an asset manager. And just for a little bit of perspective, we'll do seven or eight billion of indexed annuities this year, which makes us the largest distributor of those in the U.S. And then on the life insurance side, about uh, 50 million target or so, which is about top five if you don't count a lot of the aggregators out there. And then on the wealth management side, I think we're right at about four years old and we're pacing for almost 10 billion of assets under management. So I guess we just added a med subdivision as well. So most of our advisors, they're obviously they're independent financial advisors. 90 to 95% of them are securities licensed, typically RIAs, although we, we have a a group that are also teamed up with BD still, and really just building holistic plans for retirees out there, typically the niche most of our advisors are serving. So that's kind of an overview of the company. I don't know if you want want me to hit the pause button there, if you have any follow-up questions, or if you want me to go into kind of the DNA. Yeah. So that, I think that's a great background on what Advisors Excel is. So I think our conversation is going to go in a couple of directions here. So one is I want to learn about what's in the DNA of the company, as I mentioned here just a moment ago. And then I also want to learn about your podcast. So you've had some amazing guests on your show. So we want to dive into some of the lessons and key insights that you've picked up from your podcast guests. And then I think maybe a third one is with Advisors Excel itself, part of, I think, your company DNA is you really want to surround yourself with the most amazing people. And so I know you've had a chance to meet some really incredible folks, so would love to learn any of the lessons you've picked up from them. And then, of course, your own insights. So you've had some great experience yourself. So a lot, I think there's going to be lots of learning here, but let's go into maybe the corporate DNA. What is it about the company that you think has enabled it to grow as fast as it has over the past 12 years or so? Yeah, Steve, I think you know, if you go back to the Advisors Excel origin story, one of our four core principles is less means more. And if you go back to really the middle 2000s, the insurance brokerage world was very... Basically, if you had an insurance license, pretty much any brokerage company would work with you. It was it was kind of, you know, the wild, wild west, sign up and see who would distribute products through you. And one of the things that 
when we started Advisors Excel, it was really focused on we didn't want to work with everyone. Uh, we just wanted to work with the top 1% to 2% that were really trying to grow a business, not part-timing it. And there were a lot of part-timers back in those days. And really look at going back to the DNA of Advisors Excel, it was you took the, the smartest people in the room, the top 1% to 2% in our space, and it's kind of the old Jim Rohn analogy of you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. Well, we just wanted all of the top players in the space, and we wanted to get them around each other and openly share their best practices. And then really what Advisors Excel became was an aggregator of amazing ideas, and all we were doing was packaging them, distributing them, complying them, and putting them in easy-to-consume format where if you were an advisor that wanted to grow your business, oh, here's an idea from a guy you know, eight states away. He had that same issue. Here's how he broke through that glass ceiling in his business. And really, when we kind of define success in financial services, I mean, independent advisors, they're all truly entrepreneurs at heart. It really came down to the core of marketing. So, so I guess world number one was marketing. How do you get qualified prospects consistently on your calendar? Number two, really the client acquisition framework or appointment process, which was once you got them on the calendar, what was the best systematic process to learn how to serve them at the highest level and to convert them to a client? And really number three was once we saw them really clicking on all cylinders on the first two, which was filling the calendar consistently, consistently converting the right people that they could help to clients, it was oftentimes they became a victim of their own success, which meant everything else broke. It was kind of the chaos of, of a fast-growing company. So then we really started focusing on helping turn traditionally salespeople that had started out that way into CEOs, which meant hiring, training, uh, structuring their teams to where they could really start to scale. And then the fourth world that once we got those first three worlds really working, it was now how do we make them the only story in town? So, and typically that was around branding, PR, and really just throwing gas on the fire of marketing to where they could really start to expand and franchise if they chose to. So that was really, if you look at the DNA, it was find the top performers in the space, get them together on a consistent basis and let them all share ideas. And then we would consistently coach best practices from those top producers and top advisors and share them among the group. Well, I think you've outlined a great framework here that we can really dig into. So let's start with number one there. So marketing, and you can pull any ideas from the folks that you've worked with, from guests you've had on your podcasts, from speakers you've had at your Advisors Excel conferences. So what are some of the key things as you think about marketing, financial advisor marketing, what are some key things advisors need to be thinking about? I think the first thing I would say is it's not an option. <laughs> and I, it's, it's amazing to me how many advisors I see out there, they don't realize that if you want to have any successful business, it starts with marketing. And I see this over and over. And I, I think especially where I've really started to see it is as we've expanded and as our insurance kind of DNA where we started has merged into the RIA space, there's many RIAs out there, very successful RIAs, then, you know, 50, 100, 500 million, billion dollar RIAs, where when I really deconstruct and sit down on a coaching call with them, they have almost a non-existent marketing plan. Uh, their marketing plan is go buy other RIAs that have assets and will absorb them versus how do we organically create appointments on the calendar? Because what we found, especially for offices that want to 
recruit and retain high caliber advisors, the stickiest thing you can do is keep their calendar full. Uh, the, one of the biggest frustrations I hear from many founders and CEOs of, wow, just when I get this advisor that, you know, they're just starting to get it. We've got them a couple of years in and things are really starting to click. They quit and they go become my competition. And that's because they don't see much benefit oftentimes to being part of your team versus being their own team. And that's where our, if you look at our upper echelon, these would be firms inside of Advisor Excel capturing 200, 300 million of assets organically on an annual basis through their marketing efforts. That's a consistent theme is they're not only putting appointments on the lead advisor's calendar, but on every advisor's calendar on their team where they're typically booked out one to two weeks. So we can dive in and deconstruct some of the I'd say more popular marketing funnels, if you would like, Steve, if that could be helpful. Yeah, let's go into that. And I think you start off with a great point there about marketing is we've got to make a decision, first and foremost, that we want to grow. And honestly, not everyone does. And I was just on a call earlier today. You know, we've been in a long bull market and advisors' businesses you know, tend to grow 10% in, the, in recent years, almost like clockwork, because the markets have done well. You get a few referrals. And we have very high retention rates at most firms. And so we're going to see reasonable growth just without having to do a lot of extra marketing effort. And so that's, I think, a key thing is people have to make a commitment that I do want to put extra effort. I want to put disproportionate energy into the marketing side and have a plan on that. So let's just make the assumption here that the advisor has made the decision, absolutely, I want to grow. I'm willing to do extra work to make it happen. Now I need some better ideas and a structure on how do I do that. So what are you guys seeing are some of the most successful marketing strategies? How do you guys approach that in working with an advisor who's committed to growth? So Steve, you bring up one other point that I think even comes before marketing. And so often I see marketing based on emotions rather than math. And typically, that goes back to whatever the previous marketing effort was directly before that, right? So if they did a public event, it could be on a college campus, it could be a dinner event at Roos Chris, there could be a lot of different options. But it's funny how human beings are just wired, their viewpoint is framed on the most recent experience. And so the first thing to be successful in marketing is know your numbers. Hey, I appreciate you listening to my podcast. And did you know... Then I also have a weekly private communication that I send to my listeners. I send it via email and it contains my thoughts, tools, and a curated list of business and growth-related resources that is available only to my private subscribers. This is a free email letter and it keeps you updated on all my new material. Plus, I share my opinionated take on current events. This is the only place where you're going to get my best thinking and it's free. Just go to stevesandusky.com slash letter. That's stevesandusky.com slash letter. And that's spelled S-T-E-V-E-S-A-N-D-U-S-K-I dot com. And then the forward slash and then the word letter. So join thousands of your colleagues from around the world and start receiving my private weekly letter. Go to stevesandusky.com slash letter. And welcome to my private community. When I look at marketing, I think one of the biggest mistakes that advisors make is they classify it as an expense rather than an investment. And if you just think about the human psychology around that, 
most people don't like expenses. Those are no fun. Investments are fun. They grow. And what's really interesting, going back to the common themes we see from our top producing, our top growth offices, is the first thing they do is they understand their numbers. And they know if I spend $1 on a public seminar, here's $5 on average that I return for that marketing event. You know, If you're in Las Vegas and you and your buddies get into some cocktails on the flight out and you make a bet, hey, everybody's throwing $100 into the very first slot machine and betting it all on one pull. That'd be nerve-wracking, right? But what if $400 pays out on that first pull? You'd be high-fiving each other, right? And maybe the bet is you keep going until you burn through that first 100. Well, if you were sitting there just pulling a slot machine and it was a $300 payout, a $400 payout, a $500 payout, and you just kept bouncing back and forth, you would never get up from that slot machine. And the truth is in financial services, when you actually know your numbers and have set marketing events that are done systematically, those are similar to the ROIs we often see. And so it really shifts that advisor's perspective from, I'm not sure I can afford that to, if they're in high growth mode, how many of these can I consistently do What's my market have the bandwidth for? And so that's one of the big things when it comes to marketing is most of our offices love to market because it's just a multiplication of how fast their firms can grow. And that's on the insurance side and on the asset management side. That's a core differentiator I see with a lot of our offices when you compare them to, well, I'd say the general market that's out there. So in terms of some of the numbers, so let's take seminars as an example, very popular What are some of the numbers that you might track if someone is doing seminars? So we put together a tool on this. In fact, it was a give on one of my podcasts. And I can throw you the link if you want to gift it to any of your audience. I'm happy to. Just think of it like start at the top of the funnel, right? And so most most offices, how would they be inviting? When I first got into the business, it was nothing but direct mail. Or maybe referrals from your existing client base. Today, digital is a big part of that. So Facebook ads to get people to your public events. So bottom line is it would depend differently based on how you're actually inviting them to get there. Let's use direct mail. Typical response rate in our industry is between a half percent to 1%. So if you send out 100 mail pieces, you might get one right that registers for the event. And so you start there at the top. And then of the people that register to show up, how many actually do show up? And then from there, how many people in the room convert to appointments? And then from there, how many actually uh, convert through your two or three appointment process to become clients? And there's a lot of other things. I'm really oversimplifying this. Obviously, the demographics of who you mail to, investable assets, age, all of that. But basically, what you do is you start tracking that. And most marketing directors in our offices that we work with, that's part of their job is this venue, this mail piece was a 5 to 1 ROI when it was all said and done. And the hard part about that is that might not be for 2, 3 months after uh, your event because some of that takes a while to actually turn into revenue for the firm. Right. So we've got seminars. So let's just talk about some of the big buckets here in terms of the different types of marketing buckets. So we've got seminars, which people have been doing for decades. What are some of the other big categories of marketing opportunities that you see people doing with some level of success? So seminars, and you can even break that down into multiple types of, call it public events. So dinner seminars, college campus seminars, where it's more of an educational-based event, where sometimes people are paying to attend these classes. You have what I would call client events, where you take your existing client base, do something fun with them. Wine tastings are big. 
We've seen offices rent out movie theaters, be a super grandparent on us, bring the grandkids, turn those into referral events. So just basically leveraging your existing client base to have fun events where they're going to invite their friends as an introduction to you. So those would all be all types of different uh, public events. And then if you keep going down the path of other marketing funnels, uh, radio shows are fairly big in our top offices. Weekly radio show. Some of our top offices have a weekly TV show. Off of radio, we're on a podcast here. I'd say that's the next frontier in audio is going from a traditional radio show to a digital version of that in a podcast kind of on demand. I can think of one client right now that's closed over $3 million of assets over the last couple of weeks off of his podcast. So I think that's going to be really huge over the coming years. It's kind of you take everything that was traditional. And if you just take that into the digital space, that's where things are going. So public seminars were very brick and mortar at a set location in your local area. What's the digital version of that? Well, if I can do this in person... I can do it digitally. Just like we're doing right now, I could do a webinar. And I could invite people through Facebook to a digital webinar where I'm covering the same thing I would cover in 60 minutes in person. It's just them logging on and watching a live video or some form of live interaction on something like Zoom or some other technology that exists today. So I think if I was an advisor out there today, that what I would be asking myself is what has held to be true as far as traditional marketing for financial advisors? And how would I look out 5 or 10 years with where digital and technology is going to be ahead of the curve before everybody's doing it? And, and our upper echelon of offices are doing exactly that with podcasts and webinars and things like that. You know, So often people will say, well, you've, we've got the basic strategies and then we've got the advanced strategies when it comes to marketing or pick your area. And I think you made such a good point there when you said, when you think about the basics of marketing. It's things like seminars. It's radio shows. Okay. Those are historical media, but your point is well taken when you said seminars still work and radio still works, but now because of technology, we just take the same idea, but we have a different way to deliver it. Mm -hmm. It's not that the thing has changed. It's just how we actually deliver that thing is different. With a radio show, that's a point in time where I've got to be on live at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday because it's a live call-in show. Whereas the analogy to that is podcasting, I can record it in advance and it's available 24 hours a day. It's on-demand radio. So the concept is still the same, but the way that we do it is different because of technology. So I think that's such a key point that I'm not sure that I really make a distinction between basic and advanced strategies because to me, an advanced strategy is simply the basics done really, really well. Because if you're not doing the basics well, you're not going to get anything advanced done either. Yeah. What's interesting is it's more accessible with technology. So the question I'll ask my advisors that are on radio, imagine if a radio show you you did five years ago was still driving leads for you today. That's a podcast. I mean, you've experienced it, Steve. I've experienced it. We're one of a handful in our space that's been on this podcasting train for a while. I've got episodes that are a year plus old that people connect with me through an old podcast. And so that's the beauty of it is you can be out walking your dog. You can be on the treadmill. It could be 2 a.m. in the morning. You could be consuming the content. And the advisors that get ahead of that, I think the other benefit is the compounding of information over time, the bigger library you have out there. Different from radio, it's gone. It's one and done. And if they missed it on Saturday morning, sorry, on the podcast... 
it's this growing body of work that just tells your ideal prospects more of who you are and what you're about. And it just grows over time. And I just keep pushing my advisors. I'm like, come on, I see where it's going. You got to go with it. And uh, the ones on the leading edge are definitely running down that path pretty hard. And another example along the same line of thinking is, let's talk about email. So I'm a huge fan of email, but email has been around for many, many years. So I'm doing a couple of things with my businesses. One is I send out a weekly letter, not a newsletter, but a letter. It's more personalized. It's got some curation in it. It's got my insights from a recent conference I went to, for example. So I got different categories, but it's very personalized. Like it's just, I'm sending this one-to-one to the reader and it's very high open rates. I get nice response to it. But then a second thing with email that we do is we're creating email courses. And this is something that's been around for a number of years, but we take a topic and we say, we've got a seven day or a 14 day or a 21 day course on how to learn you know, whatever the particular topic is. And then we create three to five minute videos. We can use GoToMeeting to create a video or we could create it on our phone. We put it in a email system, people sign up for it, and then they automatically get these emails every se- you know once a day for seven days or what have you. So it's using the same original technology, which is email, but now we've added recorded video to it. We've added an automated email system to it. So we're taking it a little step further, but it still works the same. And so I think you know there's a simple example there as well. So there's so many things that advisors can do you know, we just have to pick which ones we want to try. So, you know, one thing that I'd really love to get your thought on here is let's say we have a firm that's a hundred million in assets under management. So let's just say they're a million dollars in annual revenue. Mm -hmm. So what can a firm like that do from a marketing standpoint? They don't have an unlimited budget. They've got to pick and choose what marketing activities do I want to engage in? Do I want to do seminars? Do I want to do a podcast? Do I want to do email marketing? Do I want to do a radio show? I mean, there's lots of different options. How would you approach a firm of that size to help them identify what's going to be the best one or two or three marketing strategies that we should apply to get us from, say, a million to two million in revenue within, say, let's say three years? So I'm going to take this a little different path because it's funny. Um, the podcast, it's been really interesting because uh, an audience that wasn't my typical target audience has started to seek out this type of coaching. And it's those big RIAs, right? They uh, $100 million, $500 million, billion asset managers. And I think the first thing you have to do is figure out what the heck you're selling. And sometimes even these very, very successful firms, I mean, when you look at the assets they've gathered over the years and and the revenue they're generating on an annual basis, if you ask them a simplistic question like 30 seconds or less, tell me why your clients pick you. You've never seen more deer in the headlights looks than if you ask that question. And the issue is financial services very commoditized. It's one of the most commoditized industries out there. I mean, it's like a hamburger stand. And the analogy that I'll make a lot to our clients as we're coaching them is, imagine you're you're hungry. You basically go online and you're like, hamburger. Look at all the options that pop up. And that's a lot like financial services. And and there's a reason McDonald's doesn't sell a double-decker hamburger. There's a reason that they sell a Big Mac. And there's a reason that that's trademarked. And there's a reason you can only get it at McDonald's. And that is because they've turned a commodity into a proprietary product. The first thing we coach on a lot is 
30 seconds or less, what is it you do for your clients? And if you have a commoditized answer, which most offices do the first time we chat with them, which is we do risk and fee analysis, we do income planning, we do social security optimization, you've got the whole list, Steve, and most of the audience knows has the whole list because it's on their website when you pull up services. Um, So what you want to do is you want to package that and you want to decommoditize yourself. You want to turn you into a one-of-one in your marketplace. So most of our offices will help them name and trademark their process. Most of them, it's pretty simple. It's built on a CFP standard, a holistic planning approach where they do some income planning, some investment planning, some tax planning, really modeled off of kind of a family office approach, incorporating some estate planning in there as well. So they might have four or five worlds when it's all said and done. But now they've named and trademarked that process. So they might say, hey, in our 40 years of financial planning experience in this marketplace, we found there are five core areas that most retirees struggle to have a plan built around. And guess what? Even if they do, typically there's a CPA on one side of town they go to see for their tax planning. There's a financial advisor on the other side of town that's 30 minutes away. And then, oh, they've got their estate planner that they've worked with over here. And he's another 45 minutes across the other side of town. And guess what? All three of them build really important plans and none of them talk to each other and know what the other one's doing. So what we've done is we've just combined that into one holistic plan so that we've got everything under one roof. So it all talks and it works together to serve you in retirement. And so that's where I'd start is really defining how you help clients and how you're different from the advisor down the street. And then I would take that and market. Well, I think that's such a key point. And the most popular podcast, well, and I don't know if it's the most popular podcast, it's the most popular blog post on my website is one that's titled, Why Should I Choose You? And it's a podcast that I did with a gentleman up in Canada who wrote a book. I think the book was called, Why Should I Choose You? Hmm. And he said, the key is you've got to be able to answer it in seven words or less. And so that is such a great evergreen podcast and blog post. It's it's consistently one of my top posts each month, even though I've got new stuff coming out every you know week or two. So that is so critical that we've got to be able to answer who I am with great clarity. And then your other point here about being different is also so critical. I think of the Grateful Dead. I think it was Bill Graham, who was a music promoter, and he made a comment about the Grateful Dead years ago. He said, they're not the best at what they do. They're the only ones who do what they do. Mm. And so if anyone knows anything about the Grateful Dead, you know that, yeah, they played music, but it was a little different than any other kind of music you would hear. It was a fusion of different musical genres, and they just did things differently in their concerts. And so they were the only ones who did what they did. And so as we talk about here with advisors in this somewhat commodity business, how do you distinguish yourself? And I think you gave some great points here on what can we do about trademarking our process and figuring out ways that we can show that we are different so that if a prospect reaches out to you, they look at you and they can say, you know, you're the only one who does it that way. Or the other advisors that I've shopped, you know, they don't speak like you do, or they don't communicate these ideas in the way that you do. And I really like how you do it. So if you can get to that point, then there's no other place that that potential client can go to but you because you're the only one who does what you do in the way that you do it. Yeah. And the the very best in our business, financial services is complex and we're in it all day, right? Like we're in it. We've lived in this space. It's still complex. Imagine if you're some retiree that's just trying to make sense of this million dollar nest egg and what they should do with it. 
And now they go to your website and under services, there's 18 bullet points of all the things you do. If anything, they're more concerned now than they were before. And so the whole beauty of packaging and naming that process is you simplify the complex. You know, Tony Robbins has made a business out of that for years. Just simplify the complex and you'll do pretty well in any business regardless of what you're in. So the other thing, just imagine you're going onto an episode of Shark Tank and you, this is your 5 to 10 minute pitch. Is Mr. Wonderful, based on your current pitch, is he going to be impressed? Is he going to ask for a sample? Or is he going to say, how are you any different than any other financial advisor out there? And that's just a good metric to just say, hey, I'm going up on Shark Tank. I've got to take a really commoditized business and stand out and show up differently. Yeah. And this is such an ongoing process. I mean, I still struggle with it as well. How do I clarify exactly what I do? How can I be succinct about it? How can I have a turn of a phrase that is memorable so that people can understand it, that it can sink in? So I think that's key. So, okay. So we're still working with this, say, $100 million firm. We want to get some clarity on what it is that we offer, how, how we answer, why should I choose you in, in just a, you know, a few short words, having some kind of differentiation strategy. Maybe we're naming our process. What are some other things that that firm should be thinking about as they figure out what kind of marketing activities I should be doing here? So let's go down that path. So let's say become the opposite of a commodity, however you define that. I don't even know what the opposite is. Decommoditize, right? Let's just use that word for now. So create your proprietary process. So imagine like you're a McDonald's franchise. You created your Big Mac now. You have your product to sell. Step number two is systematize. There's a reason that McDonald's can have an 18-year-old kid with pimples behind the counter and can basically run the whole store. Their systems are at such a level, they just you can't really mess it up. The other thing, if you think about top-performing financial services, basically, if you look at those firms, imagine the guy at the counter at McDonald's. That's like the financial advisor interacting with potential clients. So as soon as that advisor takes the order, let's say that's a first or second appointment. Now they have the order. Does that guy at McDonald's turn around, walk to the back and say, hey, I'll be right back? No. He punches it in a system there's somebody in the back that's a highly trained person that assembles the Big Mac or whatever else they ordered, sends it down the chute, they reach back at the bag, they hand it across the counter. Well, there's a lot of financial services firms where the, the individual taking the order does walk to the back and make the burger themselves. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. All I want to say is if you want to scale to the most efficient levels, if you truly look at how a financial advisor maximizes their hourly wage, they pretty much just interact with people and that's it. And so you might have a paraplanner, to use that analogy, they're the person in the back that's building the hamburger, you're sending it off, and you've got four or five models, however your Big Mac is assembled. And really the financial advisor, the lead advisor that's interacting with clients, they do about the first 10% and the last 10% of the work. They take the order, they ask the questions to understand what the prospect wants, they punch in the order, and then they deliver it and make sure it meets the client's satisfaction. Did we get this right? So that's the systemization. But now you've got to look at all of the other parts of a financial services firm that that comes into play as well. So I would say systematize is step number two. And then scale is step number three. And that could be a back to the McDonald's analogy. We've got one cash register. Well, why? as long as there's demand there, why wouldn't we have a second or third register taking orders to keep up with demand? So that's adding advisors to the team. Back to your point earlier, Steve, some offices want to grow. We work with a lot of high-growth offices. Not only do they want to build one McDonald's, they want to franchise. They want to own their market. So if they've got a radio show that's blanketing 
Miami, for example, guess what? There's a population there where they could kind of surround Miami and take greater advantage of that same radio spin to basically meet with clients more conveniently in their market. So once you've systematized, then that allows you the freedom to scale, which takes us back to marketing. And the one thing I would challenge the audience, just because I've heard it so many times over the last 10 plus years, if you think seminars don't work, and if you think your market is different, you have to be honest with yourself because seminars do work and your market's not different. Because what happens, and I, I've had this conversation over and over, one of our top clients that'll bring in 300 million organically this year, his go-to saying is, seminars aren't broken, you're broken. And so he says that, and yes, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek way of saying it, but our industry has trained people horribly when it comes to presenting publicly and speaking to motivate people to action. So most of the times we over-educate, we get way down in the weeds, back to the 18 bullet points on services. That's typically what the seminars look like too, to where if you create a product and a story, and here's the two or three types of people we help and how, and here's how we make it simple, most of our offices are converting between 50 to 75% of the people in the room to appointments. So I would absolutely put an exclamation point on what you just said there about the seminars, because I can go right down the list and I can look at some of the most successful advisors I've had on my show and just advisors that I've known over the past 25 years, many of them grew because of seminars Mm -hmm. and they're still crushing it today. And so seminars do work and your cash register example, I think is a perfect one as it relates to seminars. If I'm doing one seminar a month, that's my one cash register. Well, if I want to double my growth, I'm going to do two seminars a month. I'm going to add a second cash register and then a third cash register. I mean, some of the folks I work with, they're doing 50, 60, 70 seminars a year. You may be working with people who are doing triple digit seminars per year. And so if you want to grow fast, you've got to have these kinds of strategies that get you in front of a large number of targeted ideal people on a consistent basis. I mean, that's where you see this fast organic growth that you're talking about here. Mm -hmm. I almost wish that because seminars or workshops, they have this negative connotation, just call it a group first appointment because that's really what it is. You're just getting in front of a group of people and saying, here's how I might be able to help you. You're just talking to 30 or 40 people all at once. And so if you just kind of uh, eliminate the limiting belief of seminars, and I, I don't like that sales practice or whatever it is. And I think a lot of times, especially I see it heavy in the fee only or the, the RIA space where they're like, oh, I don't do seminars. Like it's a bad word. Well, would you like to help more people all at once? Is that a yes? And if that's a yes, then maybe you might want to change the framework and the lens that you're viewing a seminar through. Yeah, I think another key part along those lines is not everyone is cut out to do seminars. Not everyone may have the kind of stage presence and the personality and the verbal communication skills where a seminar would really fit for them. And that's totally fine. There are other ways like the written word instead of the spoken word. Maybe you're a better communicator via the written word. And that's where things like the email letter or the email courses or writing books. I mean, you've probably seen a lot of advisors successful with writing books. And some people might think, well, if I write a book, it's kind of a slow burn thing. Well, it is, but the book itself is not going to generate all the clients. It's what you do with the book. And it's all the spinoff activities related to the book 
that you can use for marketing and repurposing content that once you create the book content once, there's all kinds of multiple ways that you can create smaller pieces of that content in other forms of media to really leverage that and communicate it. So I've seen people had really nice success with writing books and sending out free copies with personalized letters and so on and so forth. So I don't want to give people the impression that, hey, you got to do seminars, okay? Yeah. They work, but there's also other strategies if seminars are not your thing that you can do as well. But the key is you've got to be able to get in front of a large group of people in your ideal market and communicate them in a consistent way, in a way that can be done on a scale basis. The, the beauty of long form content, like a book, like a podcast, like a YouTube video, you can slice and dice it. Gary Vaynerchuk's huge on this document, don't create. And so the, the nice thing about a book, you've got hours of content there. I mean, a book could be a little five minute YouTube video if you're comfortable rather than being in front of an audience of 40 random people that may or may not heckle you, right? I mean, I know a lot of people before they do a, a seminar that that's one of their big concerns. Just like right now, Steve and I are having a one-to-one conversation. But quite honestly, if you think about it, we're doing a seminar, an audio version of a seminar in front of a very large audience. Some podcasters are in front of stadiums with every episode. There's, there's so, millions of listeners to this yeah, show. Millions and millions. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but that's the beauty of it is if this is your... If, if you like a one-to-one conversation, maybe it's a radio show, maybe it's a podcast because it's a lot more natural conversational way, but you can get the same benefit of a seminar over time. It just does, it's not the instant gratification of a seminar. It's kind of the long game. And so there's other strategies of how do you promote the podcast and all of that. I feel like we could go a lot of different directions here, Steve. So I'm going to you. We, we could, <laughs> yeah. So, so we've kind of been working with this idea of a firm, say 100 million in assets under management, maybe a million in revenue. And thinking about, you went through several steps here of how we should think about the marketing. We've got some ideas here, of course, seminars. We talked about the book idea, the written content. So someone of that size should they just pick one marketing thing and do that? Or do you suggest, hey, try three different things and, and see what works? What's been your, your experience on what's the best strategy from that standpoint for someone of that size? My experience is perfect one thing first. My experience with advisors over the years, we're all type A personalities, a little bit of ADD, let's just be honest. And adding more options to kind of do at 50% capacity is not typically a good thing. One of the things we do is we do a day and a half coaching specific on how to structure your presentation and how to book appointments at a seminar. That's a day and a half on just how to give a 60-minute presentation, right? And so what I recommend is go deep on the one. And the other thing I recommend is success leaves clues. So don't be the advisor out there that thinks you have to figure this all out on your own. Just look at, okay, if these top 100 clients at Advisors Excel, who all capture north of 20 million of assets organically, if the common theme is they all do public events, that's a pretty good clue. Maybe I should perfect that. And maybe it's not the lead advisor. Maybe it's one of the advisors on the team that's a better public speaker, a more natural in front of people, but let them own that funnel and get really good at it. We've had offices that have grown their entire business off radio. Maybe radio is your thing. We've produced north of 100 radio shows every week. And so that might be, hey, get in front of a mic like Steve and I and share your story for a 60-minute episode. And here's our version of the Big Mac. So here's how we help people. And hey, here's a few examples. Here's some case studies. 
they came in with this problem, they went through our process. It's like the infomercial analogy. It works before and after, right? Fat, unhappy guy buys a Bowflex. Now he's skinny and has six pack, right? So the same thing works in your marketing is they came in and they weren't sure they could retire. They had a million dollars. They just weren't sure because they didn't have a plan. Well, after going through our five-step process, the cool thing is now they can spend with confidence. Now we've worked into the plan an annual trip to check off the bucket list trips because that was part of the things that was really important to them. And money's just a tool. How are we going to put that tool to use for you? So just some simple frameworks like that. Like It's really not that complicated. If you really simplify, most people are confused and not sure what to do. So have a simple process that walks them through that where they're confident and they know what they can do at the end. Yeah. This idea of spending a day and a half on the training, I don't want that to slip by because that's so important because I want everyone needs to realize that doing seminars, there is an art and a science to it. Mm. And the science is that there is a specific sequence or a structure or a framework in how you want to create an educational persuasive presentation in terms of behavior and psychology. And I'm sure you guys are totally deeply steeped in how that works. And so the organization of the presentation, how do you open the presentation? What's in the middle of the presentation? What's in the close of the presentation? What stuff do you want to weave throughout the presentation? Do you have people ask questions and make it interactive or do you wait for questions at the end? I mean, there's all these little nuances in how you can do things like that. And so that's where I think, you know, someone like your firm, you can be really helpful in a lot of ways, but that's an example with your experience of you understand how to design a presentation that can persuade in an ethical way, the audience and get them to sign up as opposed to, oh, I think I heard someone say we should do seminars. So I'm going to put a presentation together and we'll see what happens. And you don't get the results you expect. Which is typically how most advisors do their first seminar. Hey, go pay a direct mail company, five or 10 grand. Go find a really nice restaurant in your local area that has some sort of a conference room. And then they've done no training. And and here's the deal. like Our industry has done a horrible job. I'm not going to blame the advisor. It's you know some guy that says, oh, you want to grow your book? Go do a seminar. And that's about the advice he gives them or she gives them. The key thing, well, you know, one of my mentors, a guy named Michael Hyatt, he said, hey, anything you want to get better at in life, if it's, I want to drop 20 pounds in the gym, if it's, I want to become a better public speaker, go hire a coach and shortcut your learning curve. That's the thing is if you know perfecting this one thing, I mean, look at all of the keynote speakers in our industry at all of the conferences that get paid somewhere between 15, 20, 25,000 plus for a one hour presentation. That's off just doing one talk really, really well over and over. That's what in financial services, and I don't want to turn this into a go learn how to do a seminar podcast is what, what it's sounding like. But why wouldn't you take the time to train? And if you know that perfecting that can exponentially grow your practice over the next three to five years, why wouldn't you take the time to get good at it if that's what you've chosen to do as a marketing funnel? You know? I just see a lot of people throw a lot of money at things and never actually take the time to perfect them and get good at them. Yeah. And just to reiterate what you said there about the importance of picking that one thing. So you can't be all things to all people. So get clear on your focus, get clear on where you can really add the value, 
get clear on the one marketing activity that you want to do and you want to get really good at it. And it's if it's seminars, if it's radio shows, if it's podcasting, if it's writing books, if it's doing videos, whatever it is, just get really good at it because those are proven ways to grow your business. And if you can be really good at it, you're going to be in the top. And the example about the public speaking, another spot on example that a professional speaker comes up with a presentation and they give that 50, 100, 500 times. They know every word that's going to get a laugh line. They know if I need to take someone through a certain emotion, this is the phrase or this is the story that I need to tell. So they get so good at it that nothing is left to chance. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, I see a lot of really, really amazing advisors where the you know, all of the CFPs out there, all of, all of the, the designations that are out there where you tip, I mean, you have to be really hungry for education to be really good in our, in our industry. I see a lot of those people. And what you also have to realize is all of that is great. But if you don't have people that know how you can help them, you're the best kept secret in town and you're just, you're going to struggle. And so I think the biggest thing is marketing is just helping people understand how you can help them. It doesn't need to be a dirty word or the more you start to understand that, I mean, you could track one thing as a metric and it's qualified first appointments on your calendar in 2019. And if you want to double your practice, it's really easy. Just double that for 2020 and all things being the same, you will double your practice this coming year. And just track that one thing. How many people that I can help showed up on my calendars per week on average this year My goal is to double that in 2020, assuming I want to grow. And then just pick that one thing. Like Steve said, pick that one marketing funnel to double down on in 2020. And I promise you, I see it work over and over and over. It really can be done. You don't have to complicate it. So then the tricky part is if I want to double my number of first appointments, it's like, okay, well, what is going to drive the doubling of those first appointments, the leading activity? So just like you had uh, Mr. McChesney, I believe his name, on uh, the four disciplines of execution, it's like, okay, we've set the metric. Now we've got to identify what is that leading activity that is going to drive an increase in the first appointment. So maybe let's just go off on that tangent here for a second, using that as an example, because that obviously is an important metric. How many first appointments do I have? What are some of your thoughts in terms of what can an advisor do or how do they think about that framework of, well, how do I identify what is that leading activity that is going to drive 20 new or 40 or 100 first appointments next year. Back to your example, it's going to depend on what the firm is, what's the staff size, what their current marketing plan looks like. Let's just say that the marketing plan's kind of not real existent. Let's just start there, bare bones. Let's use your 100 million AUM example. You already have a large group of individuals that like and trust you. Assuming they're all sticking on the books, they're staying there for a reason as they value your service. So the first one I would do is create activities that are easy for more people like that to meet you. And so it's also a really good way to tiptoe into maybe that idea of, huh, do I want to give a public seminar? So it's a lot easier to talk sometimes in front of people that already like and trust you and you have some rapport with. So maybe say, hey, I'm going to do an activity once a month. And the issue in our industry, I see a lot of with these client events is that they feel as if there's this thing in our industry where you feel like if I'm in front of a room full of people, I have to be like a president giving a speech behind a pulpit. 
and some sort of educational thing, right? The truth is you could just go have fun with your clients. And guess what? A lot more of them are going to show up. So if you create these client events that are all based around the idea of, hey, most of our clients work with retirees. So I'll use that as an example. You did all the hard work to get to retirement. Now you work with our firm. We want to make it fun now that you're here. So we've got a calendar of events, one per month, where we're going to have all of these monthly activities designed to have fun. They're social events. And so a social event to us, it's designed to hang out with people you like. So bring your friends. And so I think there, when you look at it, is wine tastings, movie events, cooking classes, dancing classes. A lot of times we're like, oh, would you like to show up for a 2020 economic update? If I come to Wisconsin, I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? You want a Friday night economic update? What are you thinking? I'm thinking or, I'm going to the fish fry. Exactly. So, <laughs> so don't overcomplicate it. Your clients are humans just like you. Host fun events. And guess what? A lot of them will show up. And once you've kind of trained them that, hey, I'm not going to do an impromptu seminar where I, you know, I whipped the projector out of my briefcase and I tricked you and now your friends are here. And the key thing that I, I love to do is I love to work with offices where they, these events cross-pollinate each other. So you do a fun event. It's kind of like a first date where your clients show up that already love you. They're bringing their friends that typically, as you know, wealthy people hang around other wealthy people. And so make sure you know who you want on that list. But now at the close of that, you say, hey, for those of you that were here, that this was your first event with our firm tonight, thanks for showing up. We had a lot of fun. Uh, If you'd like to learn a little bit more about why your friends work with us, some of the planning that we do for them to help them with retirement, we've created a special VIP event. Here's when it is. In fact, bring your friends along as well. If you want to have a double date on us, here's how you can learn more about our firm. Back to the Big Mac analogy, if you have a proprietary process you can speak very high level about that's simple, that's a nice caveat. And hey, we'll talk about our process that we do that walks retirees into developing a a plan custom built for them. And so back to that 100 million RIA firm, I would look at... And you don't have to do one a month. Say you do every other month, start with a fun event. The next month, you let that fun event feed into more of an educational event you let the educational event cross feed into the next fun event. Hey, if you book a, a visit to come and see us tonight, you get a complimentary invite to our next month's wine tasting, right? So you can let those two cross pollinate each other. And that's a really cool framework we've seen a lot of our offices run with. These are all great ideas, Brad. So thanks for sharing them. And I think also wrapped around all of this is some type of accountability system to make sure, as you talked about, we got to be tracking the numbers. But we've also got to have a meeting process so that we're following through, we're holding people accountable, we're making sure that these things are happening the way they're supposed to happen, people are doing what they're supposed to do. So I think having that reporting system wrapped into all this is going to be critical as well. So, all right, Brad, well, why don't we maybe switch gears here for just a second? And I know you have had some amazing speakers at the Advisor Excel events? And as you think back, is there anyone that stands out? And if so, is there maybe an idea or two from one of the past speakers that you've had the the pleasure of hearing? Anything that's really stuck with you? That is a really tough question because we've had a decade plus of amazing people come across our stage. I'll tell you what you motivated me to do, Steve. It was a project that was on my to-do list. So I actually put together a little something for your audience. I went back and as you know, doing a podcast, there's just these little three to five minute snippets of just pure wisdom, depending on who the guest is and what the topic is. And I know you've got a lot of those on on your show from the amazing guests you've had on. 
So what I did was I kind of went back through my guest list, many of whom have been speakers on our stage. You mentioned Chris McChesney. He was amazing for Disciplines of Execution. But I pulled little clips and there was a saying, you know, the good stuff sticks. I find like I go back, I'm like, oh, that was such gold. Where, where I'll go back and I'll reference past guests. And so I went ahead and I pulled some past clips. We put them out on YouTube, the Elite Advisor Blueprint clips. But I, I just took a, a list of them. Brian Miles was one of them. So you'll appreciate him. The name of his company is also Belay. Are you familiar with what used to be EA Help? No, I'm not. Belay, he's a climber. That's where, of course, it came from. So he started a company which was executive assistance, virtual executive assistance, which has done very, very well for itself. And he told a story on the podcast where he was climbing a mountain with a mentor of his that had taken a company public, very, very successful CEO. And this was not too long after he formed his company. And he said, what was it that excites you about your business? And Brian's like, well, I love that I own my business. And they're like camped up the side of a mountain, like thousands of feet, right? And this mentor's like, you don't own your business. And Brian's like, what are you talking about? That's the whole reason I quit my job was so I could own my business. And this mentor was like, you don't own your business. You still work for your business. He's like, the moment you own your business is when you become a shareholder and you no longer have to show up. That's truly owning a business. And so just like that little nugget of wisdom, this chat that happened between the CEO of some Fortune 500 company and, and Brian as he was starting his business, that little chat impacted the future of his business. That was a nugget of wisdom that I loved on the show. Some of the very best come at the end of the conversation when I just throw out some random questions, Steve. I don't know if you feel the same, but... So uh, that's going to put some pressure on you then. Yeah, I, so, I, hope, I hope I don't you, let you You better save here. the best for last yeah. year. <laughs> so, so Cameron Harold, who was the COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, grew it from like a few million to 100 million plus. He runs his own podcast. He runs a training for Second Command COO Alliance. He told a story of going to Burning Man, the concert. And he just shows up his first time ever there. And he walks out and there's this half-naked tuba player. that's like dirty and grimy, like probably most Burning Men people that hang out there for very long are. And he said immediately he passed judgment on this person. He's like, who's this loser playing the tuba, you know, in like a Speedo. Somehow they, they meet, they cross paths later. He finds out it's a billionaire. It was literally there, you know, just relaxing, being himself, whatever, getting out of the chaos of whatever his day-to-day was. And he said, you know, that taught me a really important lesson to never judge a book by its cover. Don't pass judgment before I know. That was just a really cool nugget of wisdom from Cameron. He has another saying that I strongly believe and your network is your net worth. And I don't just mean that monetarily. I mean that just the caliber of people, which as you know, podcasting, just it's this awesome platform where you get to have a lot of interesting conversations with a lot of very successful people. And I've found that to be very true, especially podcasting, where just the connections you make can uh, make all the difference in the world based on what you're trying to do. I'll close with one that was just life-changing on a podcast that I did. A guy named Don Yeager. He was the assistant editor for Sports Illustrated before he broke off, written multiple New York Times bestsellers, wrote... uh, He lived with Walter Payton on basically his last year, wrote his biography, but just really successful author, speaker. And he shared a story when he was working for Sports Illustrated. He kind of heard through the grapevine that John Wooden, like 85, 90-year-old John Wooden, famous UCLA coach, was mentoring Shaq, who was a rookie. 
when he was at the Magic, the Orlando Magic, when he first got in the league. And so Don flies out, gets permission to cover this story. And he's thinking, you know, it's just going to be a basketball story. He's going to be coaching him on, you know, how to survive in the NBA. And he just sits in on this mentoring session and John Wooden's not talking anything about basketball. He's telling Shaq how to be a better teammate, how to be a better dad, how to be a better husband. And he just said he sat there and was just in awe of this whole conversation. And at the end of it, he said, uh, hey, Coach Wooden, I, what would a guy like me have to do to be mentored by a guy like you? And Coach Wooden said, well, he'd have to ask. And that was the first part of that story because he did ask. And that led to him flying out every two months to mentor under Coach Wooden for like 12 years. And the rule was he had to come prepared with questions. And as long as he made a good use of the time, Coach would keep clearing time on his calendar. And uh, Jaeger was like, hey, I'm sure you get that ask all the time, right? And he's like, you'd be surprised how few people do ask. And so lesson number one to me right there was the worst thing that can happen by seeking out a peer or a mentor is you ask and they say no. And the best thing that can happen is you take somebody like a John Wooden with years and years of wisdom and you're immediately just tapped into this just fountain of knowledge. And, and that just... I found the very best in everything I've run across. They're those type of people. They ask and they, they get connected in the same room with top performers. The way that Wooden story ended, Don Yeager had gone out now for a handful of years and he said Coach Wooden was getting old, like in his 90s, upper 90s. He thought that might be the last time that he saw him in person. And so he said, Coach Wooden, I just want you to know every time I leave your presence, I feel like I'm a better man. And Coach Wooden didn't say, you know, you're welcome or thanks. That means a lot. He said, you should make that your standard. And I remember like in the moment in the interview, like just saying, wow, that was powerful. And then I remember like kind of digesting it after the interview and just like rewinding in my life, like just you know, we've all been idiots in college before and just, and I remember, wow, what if, what if I made that my standard that whoever I interact with, they always leave a better person, better man or woman. You know, I, I pour something into them without any expectation of anything in return. And I just make that mission to just always like help people, however you come across them. And that little nugget from a podcast literally changed the whole lens that I interact with people through. And I've definitely screwed it up but since then. You know, I'm definitely not perfect and I'm always trying to improve. But that was definitely a nugget of wisdom that like just completely changed how I interact with people on a day-to-day basis, Steve. So that's the beauty of a podcast. And I know you've had a lot of those experiences yourself. Yeah, well, John Wooden was certainly one of a kind. So I appreciate you sharing Don's story there. And Brad, you've made me a better person as a result of our conversation here today. Well, I appreciate that. Likewise. All right. So why don't we wrap up here? Just a couple of things. So why don't you share how people can reach out to you for starters? What's if folks do want to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to connect with you and how can they access your podcast? Bradleyjohnson.com. So B-R-A-D-L-E-Y Johnson.com. Podcast is out there. Pretty much all my social handles. I'm, I'm fairly active on Twitter, which I find a lot of FinTwit, I guess, is the community. So, uh, at Brad underscore Johnson, if you want to connect out there and uh, the Elite Advisor Blueprints, the podcast. So if you search for that in any podcast player, it should pull up. So let's just go into a few rapid fire questions. So the first one I want to ask is, do you have a daily habit or regular habit that you think has helped lead to your success? I've developed a, a fairly consistent morning routine that involves 
working out most days of the week, not every day. Typically, some reading in there as well. Uh, I went through a solid year of the uh, Daily Stoic, which is a, is a great reader I would recommend for anybody just kind of more of a mindset thing. I try to put work in before everybody else does. So worst case scenario, you know, it can be 7 a.m. And I know I've got a pretty good start on the day compared to the average individual out there. And I also just find uh, when you get in the gym and bust a sweat, you typically need less coffee to get going for the day. So that's usually a pretty good way to get fired up. All right. How about a book or two that you recommend frequently? There's so many. We have a saying in my house. So I have three kiddos, nine, eight, and three. And one of our mottos is readers are leaders. And so I've really encouraged them to read and I, I try to model the same thing. So with my kids, a favorite book for the parents out there, Jocko Wilnick wrote a series called Way of the Warrior Kid. And there's now three of them. And it's kind of like personal development if you're under 10 years old. So I highly recommend that. I've gifted that to a lot of friends that have kids and all of their kids love it. That's definitely a high on the list. Uh, he also has a podcast, Way of the Warrior Kid podcast. If you, and we listen to that sometimes on road trips. So that, that might be a good pickup for the parents out there. The most interesting book I've read lately, kind of in the finance genre, it's called The Internet of Money. And it's by Andreas Antonopoulos, who's kind of one of the foremost Bitcoin experts out there. If you can spell his last name, <laughs> search for it on YouTube, but you'll find all kinds of interesting speeches he's given. But it was really a very great breakdown of not just Bitcoin, but cryptocurrency. And I know that's something that's definitely gotten on the radar of a lot of advisors where your clients are kind of coming in and asking about it. So if you want kind of a 101 on crypto and Bitcoin, I think the audio book on Audible's maybe two, two and a half hours long, and it's a great breakdown. Last one here. I'm going to start a sentence, and I'd like you to finish it. So the sentence begins with, what I know to be true is... Giving without expectation always comes back. Excellent. Well, we will wrap it up right there. What a great way to end. So, Brad, thank you. It's been great. Really enjoyed having the conversation here today. Congratulations to you and the entire team at Advisors Excel. You guys are just doing such a great job. You're really impacting so many people's lives, helping your advisors reach more people and deliver solid advice and investment management services. So thank you for all that and appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Steve. And likewise, the work you're doing, speaking at one of the very first conferences, and I know at the time you were partnered up with Ron Carson, and since you ventured out on your own, and it's funny how we got reconnected. Dave Callanan, who's one of the founders at Advisors Excel, I think you had somebody on your podcast, and he's like, hey, that one struck home with me. I want to connect with them. And then we got teamed up. So just going back to putting out great, high-quality content for our industry, likewise, back at you. You're a good testament to someone that's been doing that for a long time. So thanks for all you do, Steve. All right. Appreciate it, Brad. Thank you for listening to Between Now and Success. Hey, if you want to continue to hear these great episodes on the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could do a couple of things. First, tell all your friends and colleagues that you think can really benefit from listening to this podcast. Let them know about the show. You can even help them subscribe to the podcast by pulling out their phone, pulling up their podcast app, searching for this podcast between now and success, or you could just search on my last name, Sandusky, S-A-N-D-U-S-K-I, 
and look for Between Now and Success and click the subscribe button. So that would be a big help, number one. Number two is to go to iTunes and leave a review. So you can actually give this a five-star review if you think it's that good, which I'd appreciate. And you can also write a review of the show. That helps other people find the podcast and helps us continue to grow. So appreciate all your help in that area. Appreciate you being a listener. And if there's anything that I can do to help you, please let me know. You can visit us at belayadvisor.com. Thanks, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.